0: Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio Broadcasting across North America on Saga 960 AM and on Coastal Carolina Network. It's the uh, week of Cinco de Mayo. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki broadcasting from the, uh, the Carolina bunker this week. And I'm joined, as always, by my uh, colleague, David Clement, who's up there in uh, Toronto. Uh, David, how goes it? It's a pleasure to be uh, reunited on the same continent
1: again just a, a few weeks later. <laughs> welcome back to the new world.
0: Yes, it's great to be back, and um, you know, just on cue, I was able to uh, pop down to the local grocery store, as is tradition, and check out all the items mm-hmm. that um, I can only dream of having in a European uh, supermarket. So I picked up all of i all the things that I could: uh, the interesting little crackers and chips, and flaming hot Cheetos, and uh, yeah. kids' snacks, and everything in a pouch, and uh, every flavor of yogurt you've ever wanted with fruit in the cup. Yes. What a world.
1: Oh, game changer. Game changer. I mean, that is one thing that, like, obviously Canada is not uh, the same as Europe in terms of lack of options. We don't have it bad. But then you go into a grocery store in, like, a major U.S. city, and then you're like, whoa, there's an entire world of everything that I've never seen before that all looks delicious. It
0: all looks delicious. It's good. And there's choice, you know? I know that... Um, you know our our favorite senator. Uh, it's a
1: strange world out there.
0: Bernie Sanders is not a fan of consumer choice at the grocery store. You know we don't need 15 different deodorants, but I think for many different people who have just different tastes, different interests, or just want to try out a new product, it, it's great. And uh, I finally get to try out all these things that I see in the commercials
1: yeah <laughs> uh, yes. so i'm
0: washing my clothes because uh, we mentioned that it's all just uh, washing machine ads and like laundry detergent so i'm i'm trying all those out uh the the quick release caps or the you know lemon scented super tide pods tide pod uh majig uh, yeah i mean it was a game changer to switch to the pots by the way i will say that mm. uh way to go <laughs> uh but yeah david we're reunited i'm back here in the uh, carolinas um visiting FAM, and uh, getting back into the American way of life and adjusting to the Eastern time zone. Uh, it's a bit difficult, but, you know, so far we've done very well. I'm, I'm used to the uh, having to drive everywhere again. Yeah. That's kind of a normal thing. And uh, I look around at night and see the neighbors, and they're all watching MSNBC and Fox News.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Not CNN.
0: No, I haven't seen any CNN. Uh, we, we don't have that. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's so funny. It's like, without delay, I can t- just look over at the neighbor in their living room, and you can see that, oh, look, it's Hannity. Or look, I don't know who's <laughs> taking over for Tucker <laughs> nowadays, but you just, like, you can tell. And you see Hannity messing around with the football, or he got his, his talking points that day from the GOP, and he can go on uh, all over. And yeah, one yeah, thing um, I'll notice, uh, I will say, David, is that in, in this town where I am, uh, outside of Charlotte, Uh, They have relaxed the zoning regulations a good amount. Oh, that's good. And uh, our neighbor just built up, you know, a sort of, um, uh, I guess you can call it a pool house or like a second house in the backyard. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently was able to do it without delay, really didn't have many problems, was able to set it up, didn't have too many inspectors. Granted, we are in a historic part of town, which usually is more uh, onerous on this stuff. Uh, but also yeah. the, the downtown area, they're turning into a complete pedestrian zone and they're building condos on top of the uh, shops. So we're doing a little bit of up zoning.
1: That's nice. That's nice. Uh, yeah, you, I'm just waiting for that to happen here. There's going to be a lot of pushback, but it, it is, it would be a game changer. I mean, Toronto has started to allow for some of those like secondary garden suites. I think they call them, um, And they're just, they can be super useful for, I mean, they can be super useful for if you're renting it out to somebody, but they can be useful for family or if you have parents who are getting older and you wanted them to be close by rather than somewhere else or in senior living or whatever. A lot of good options. I have a funny question though for you about North Carolina. Oh, hit me. Do you have red light cameras in North Carolina?
0: Red light cameras are not a thing. Um, this is a a trend. You are correct that uh, has spawned up in many different jurisdictions. I believe the red light cameras have thus far been squashed, mainly on 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 the kind of uh, not. I don't want to say civil liberties, but it's essentially like you know this is lazy policing. It's just going to penalize yeah. poor people. Uh, there's no due process, really, because you know who knows why that red light maybe you were pushed or who knows. So there's none of that.
1: Well, yeah. So personal anecdote here, I got, uh, there are like four red light cameras on the main street that we live on now or live off of now. And I got something in the mail <laughs> that said that in February, um, I, uh, I have an infraction. Um, and the whole thing is just such a racket because, there's in if that scenario was observed by a police officer, there's no way that their discretion still gives me the ticket. And so the backstory there was like pretty decent snowstorm. And they're coming down a hill, um, light goes yellow, and in those types of conditions, you're, make, you're making a very quick call of like, "Well, is there a car behind me? Am I am, am I willing to possibly get t boned?" is there anyone coming the other direction you're it's like a a, a split second decision and so i allegedly uh uh pers- continued through the intersection um and guess how guess guess the timing that i was off that gave me the ticket uh point 0.5 seconds point 0.3 seconds they put that in there a th- yeah, I was a third of a second.
0: So what's the threshold uh, like when your back tires go
1: under the light? I think it's the front tire. My front tires hadn't cleared the crossway or so, like the crosswalk. I don't know. But I mean, I am going to – I have submitted the paperwork to fight it because my argument is just – or to get it reduced. is just to be like, no police officer is giving me a ticket in that scenario they're going to see the conditions and the weather and whatnot and be like, ah, you know what? You probably stopped. I mean, if I hammer on the brakes at 0.3 seconds, I'm either sliding through the intersection or I'm stopping. And the guy behind me is in my trunk.
0: Yeah. This is the AIification um, of uh, police work, huh? <laughs> Subjected yeah, all the computers govern. and uh, monitors and uh, we can see exactly where it goes. Uh, I've,
1: I mean the, the I think I've had the only positive, these, but yeah. Yeah. The only positive is that um they uh they don't do demerit points for this. It's just a fine. So there's no like ding on your insurance, um which is nice, but at the same time you are not able because they do that, you're not able to challenge it and say you were not driving. Oh, I see. Which is very strange. Like, I don't love the fact that with zero evidence that you were driving, you are now assigned a ticket. Other than it's your car. So, in, right. But I in, mean, in, in many uh, instances. It's, in
0: Europe, they just like, they ding the car. And uh, if it's a serious enough offense, they ask, they send a letter, which is what I got. They say, okay, your your car got this ticket, but who was driving at this time? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like mm-hmm. affidavit type thing. So I've, I've had that for a, a speeding thing, um, but I actually looked it up, uh, the other day, David, uh, there, I found this, um, open source website where you can search, uh, you know, jury trials and all the criminal proceedings. And I still I'm still in there. I've got, uh, my speeding ticket from Stouton, Virginia in 2008. Uh, I was going, uh, you know, 74 and a 65, like so, something like this. No. And I got I got a local lawyer, um, as a good American does, uh, <laughs> Arrived. I think I was actually driving up to Montreal. I arrived in Montreal. I called the lawyer. I found it on who knows yellow pages at the time. Called the lawyer and I said, "Hey, can you handle this? I'll send you whatever it is, three or four hundred bucks." She settled it. It was dismissed, uh, but it's still online and people can find it. And uh, yeah, nice. I uh, I thought it would. Have There's nothing better than be- beating this system. There's nothing
1: better than beating those tickets.
0: Oh yeah, and I could tell you about my uh, my. My ticket that I beat in uh, the mountains of Pennsylvania, uh, the Commonwealth of mm-hmm. Pennsylvania v. Ielosovsky. Uh, that was a that was a big one. I got pulled over for my big Jeep tires. If you remember that one,
1: no, oh, yeah. right? The tires were too wide. The
0: guy was telling me the tires are too wide, and I said, "Well, it doesn't matter because the state of North Carolina just gave me my inspection sticker, and everything's fine, and I'm not subject to your rules here in Pennsylvania, nuts." He's like, yeah, I'm "Just nah, passing through." Not true. And he gave me the ticket anyway. Um, I was ready to drive back up and uh, settle it. And I sent a motion to dismiss. I did like two or three like uh, nice, like pretty solid working documents that I submitted to the court, you know, looking at all the templates online. And then I got the call the day I was supposed to leave. And uh, it was dismissed. Um, apparently not because of any motion I filed, but because the officer who was supposed to be there uh, got into a car crash. Uh, but it was worth it and of course everybody around you at the time what do they always say when you get a ticket you know just pay it you know don't fight it just don't don't try to get involved just pay it off you know what no this is about who's right and who is actually supposed to be executing the law and doing so in a proper manner because these laws are apparently for everybody they're not supposed to just be at the discretion of whatever officer is wielding his notebook and hates a particular car that he sees driving down the road, whether it be a Kia or, you know, Jeep Cherokee.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the one takeaway that I got from the other time that I fought a ticket was just how incredibly unfair, like you and I have the means to like, try and figure out what, what standing we have to fight it. And, Maybe the flexibility in terms of like, okay, we can go to the courthouse and like, do whatever the process is to fight it. When I was, I sat in traffic court essentially for a day waiting to fight my a previous ticket. And it was all low income people, immigrants, people who maybe didn't have a full grasp of the English language, just getting absolutely soaked by the system over and over and over and over again. Um, And they have like a trial penalty here. So if you fight something, um, you pay extra if you're found guilty. Because
0: you're using the, the court and its resources, I take it, as a
1: citizen. Yeah, which is totally bogus. Like, total bogus nonsense. I don't know. The whole system is flawed, and it drives me nuts. And it's getting lazier, and... It's just about money at this point.
0: Well, hasn't it always, David? Um, a lot of things are about money. Yeah. Uh, particularly when it comes to government administration and zoning, um, and a lot of penalties um, that are ensued. I mean, that's why you have these parking meters. You know, the whole idea was to get the get the cars turned, so we can get more business here downtown, or you know, more money for the city, yeah. so we can get all this kind of stuff. Um, I, I notice you notice this when you go out to the beach. Um, particularly, let's say in, in Florida or even in North Carolina, between the different communities, there are some people who are reliant on the parking meters for their city mm-hmm. funds. There are some that are not. So, some of the times it's five dollars an hour. Sometimes it's just a dollar an hour. <laughs> it really depends. Yeah. So, uh, I think you know this is uh, this is kind of the problem with I think the Anglo-Saxon Anglo-Sphere ways that we fund our government um, by penalty and by sin is uh, not the best. Um, at all set up, because I think it, it. essentially it's not that you're just discouraging bad behavior, but you're just penalizing people. And that's just how you fund your stuff. So you incentivize officers to find more people that they can punish to get mm. more money for all of this. And, you know, maybe I just go back to uh, Herman Cain. If we just had nine, 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 none of this, <laughs> none of this would happen. Uh, but I know you want to talk about oh um, sin taxes and a little bit of drinking. We can talk about that in our next segment. Uh, talk about some mm-hmm. substack stuff. Uh, but I, I think overall we've got a, a couple of articles lined up for the rest of the program. We've got some interviews the last couple of weeks. Um, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting show. We I'll be bouncing back and forth. Uh, I know David, you've got uh, probably some things lined up. And what a tumultuous time in in. Uh, Sort of political and consumer advocate circles on both sides of the border. Oh, yeah. It is uh, getting wild. We'll have more on that and much more here on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll be right back here on uh, Saga 960 AM and the Coastal Carolina Network. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, We were talking a little bit about syntaxes before, uh, which I'm I'm sure many of you have have had to pay in some respect. And boy, maybe you're looking in your pockets right now and you don't have much money because you just uh, had to buy that product that you wanted or that service or whatever it might be and had to pay a little bit extra. And Dave, we want to talk about alcohol. Um, You had a great Instagram reel that went out this week. Um, You were nubbing on some popcorn and you were telling us about the... uh, the escalator tax in Canada, which I don't know if everybody knows about this. Uh, Can you give us some background first? And I think that gives us a good intro to talking about uh, uh, alcohol recommendations from government taxation and all the rest.
1: Yeah. So we talked about the the escalator tax before. It was supposed to go up over 6% uh, in April and a lot of people really push back, and they capped it at two percent, which is nice on
0: on all alcohol, on yeah, beer alone.
1: All alcohol. Um, the problem is, is that like fifty percent of the price of beer and like seventy five percent of the price of spirits is already taxes. So it we're at the threshold of okay, this is enough. Um, so they capped it at two percent, but the tax still exists. So next year we'll go up index to inflation and the year after and the year after that. And it's just a really uncomfortable way of ensuring that alcohol stays uncomfortably expensive forever. Um, and like I said, we already pay enough. We already pay enough. And um, there's just a lot of funny business going on in alcohol policy these days, with, I mean, we talked about this before. The Canadian Center for Substance Use and Addiction really pushing like a a, a no use is safe use strategy, um, which is so silly um, because it's not true. Um, it's not true. If you look at mortality, um, it's not true at all. Um, And we're seeing groups, like, I I didn't even know some of these groups existed, like one called Movendi, which is like a, I think the organization's like 150 years old. And their whole purpose is to push for temperance, which is like no drinking at all. And they're getting particularly good at um, lobbying government to enact policy to get closer to that goal. And they've done a lot. I mean, the CCSA report. Where they said, "Oh, you you can't have more than two drinks in a week," and everyone was like, "Wait, in a week?" Um, they've just really gerrymandered the numbers. We drink two drinks every day. (laughs) What is this about? Yeah, (laughs) it's like just really bad science, and it's all just driven by people who don't want you to drink at all at any level. Um, and it's creeping in now to Canadian policy. You have regional health authorities who. I mean, prior to COVID, nobody knew that these people existed, right? Um, these regional or big city officers of health. Um, but now, um, kind of post COVID, government hasn't really um, hasn't wrestled back that authority in the same sense. Like we looked to those people for it was a pandemic, it was a crisis, like it was scary for a while and and the authority was kind of dumped on on those folks. Um, but now we're beyond that type of crisis management. We're back into the ordinary business of the day, and yet some of these public health figures have, have maintained that COVID authority, um, and for the worse, because they're pushing policies that are just not, they're not based in science, nor are they even realistic. I mean, if you were to create a full... Two drink guideline for a week. Everyone would look at the guidelines and be like, "Well, these are dumb." So, all guidelines are dumb. Like, I don't need to listen to these guys at all. Um, and so, it's just counterintuitive and really nefarious. The more you dig into it, you are like, "Wow, they really reconfigured the numbers to support their narrative." Why did they have this narrative? And you are like, "Oh, well they've they've always had it because they're temperance people." It's it's like the the abstinence only sex educators. Um, whom a lot of people snicker at because obviously that doesn't work
0: um uh david I, by the way, that is the title of your new op ed um the temperance movement are uh today's abstinence activists yeah, basically,
1: <laughs> it's true, yeah. yeah,
0: and you know this is um it's creeping, i mean obviously alcohol is one thing that we've we've seen it's become. Um, a bit more apparent, but yeah. I just saw an article in Esquire magazine, which
1: no, always has to have coffee of,
0: Is it time to quit coffee for good? A growing chorus of concerned former addicts i mean people on Twitter are trying to wake people up to caffeine 's negative effects all right, so tobacco out nicotine they 're trying to get it out alcohol. Yeah, they're wor- working up a storm. And now they're coming for your cup of Joe. Your cup of Joe. Good uh,
1: luck. <laughs> I, I say that in like the 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 scene from Taken where it gets the guy to, to say it back to him in Albanian. He's like, Good luck. <laughs> Good luck trying to ban coffee.
0: <laughs> it's like take it from my cold dad just woke up. Dad hands. (laughs) I think uh, (laughs) this is the the kind of thing that I I find incredible is that people are going to make bad decisions. People are going to make decisions that we wouldn't necessarily do. Maybe we don't go to McDonald's every single day, or perhaps, hey, we don't run that triathlon thing like David does every other week. You know, we we take other decisions in our life and we prioritize certain things. Hey, guess what? That's kind of my freedom as a human being
1: (laughs) to do that
0: it's kind of the point of living um, being able to raise your kids have your family you know essentially you create the rules at home and now that they're attempting to also put coffee into this and um, it, it's all part of the same kind of strange horseshoe and uh, we'll link to this article in the show notes by friend of the show Chris Snowden mm-hmm. he's the lifestyle economist which I, I still think that's the best title of all time yeah uh, the the lifestyle economist at the Institute of Economic Affairs in UK we uh, should we should called, invite uh, him
1: back on the show as well. He's he's yeah, entertaining. We,
0: he's 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 due back and um Chris is uh, just a wonderful authority on many of these issues and um he's a, he's a proud um user of all of these products um sometimes with us and it's pretty fun. The World Health Organization is lying to journalists, says Mr. Snowden is a headline of his recent Substack. Um he got snowden.substack.com, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, activists have taken over the Who's alcohol program. I love his writing. This is the first paragraph. The incompetent and corrupt World Health Organization has produced a, quote, guide for journalists to help hacks report on issues related to alcohol (laughs) accurately. Not entirely unpredictably, it is a catalog of anti-drinking tropes, half-truths, and brazen lies. The very first words are, no amount of alcohol is safe to drink, and it doesn't get any better thereafter <laughs> uh, I mean, so he, he does a point by point debunking uh which, yeah. which uh, is is perfect snowden style and we have to realize that yeah you know you might be the sober guy at the party you might be the one but as we just mentioned uh, coffee is also on the list hey green tea happens to have a lot of caffeine too you yogis so <laughs> it's always going to be some product that you know someone will have a problem with you know what happened to the good old-fashioned anglosphere notion of just let people live, make their own decisions, and you know let people control their own lives.
1: I mean, and the best part about some of the, the in air quotes, science that they're putting out. So if, if you take that sentence from the WHO, no amount of alcohol is safe to drink. If you're looking at overall mortality, and number of alcoholic drinks per day, so the base level is one. It actually doesn't get back to one until like two and a half drinks per day. So suggesting that it's actually possibly good for, I mean, this is like the old glass of wine um, uh, being good for you and good for your heart. Um, So it's like, well, clearly what we're talking about as people who engage in problematic drinking, where it's like more than three, four, five, six, um, alcoholic drinks per day. I mean, yeah, that I think most people would be like, okay, yeah, that's, that's probably someone who's drinking a little heavy on a regular basis. That that's I can see is terrible. a problem. Yeah. Um, but the, even the chart that they use to justify all this nonsense shows that you don't get to that negative threshold until after two drinks per day. So I don't know what they're talking about. And
0: and it seems as if two per day is is sort of the, uh, you know, that's that's sort of the beginning zone. That's sort of the healthy, uh, (laughs) neutral area. That's where you have to start. (laughs) And then we can go and uh, and evaluate the bad numbers. And it's just strange that this is the the same World Health Organization that has been lauded for many, many years. And I do think, you know, because of what happened with COVID, people were a bit more open to criticizing what was happening at the World Health Organization. Oh, my God, look at these reports they've been publishing. And oh, my God, look at these grants they've been giving out. And oh, my God, everybody here at the roundtable is CCP. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, that I think hopefully that calls into question. But now that we're still going back to the World Health Organization to get some kind of um, strange medical advice, this is not a scientific organization. It is a political organization.
1: Yes, one who has obviously experienced a dramatic amount of mission creep. Like we're not talking about eradicating polio, we're not talking about talking about combating Ebola or other Yellow communicable fever. diseases. Um, they've com- they've shifted their mandate and mantra into the the arena of lifestyle decisions, uh, and in many instances, in ways that are totally counterproductive to reducing harm. Like, their stance on vaping is, has been hysterical from the beginning, despite David, the fact they declared,
0: that- they're declared video games an epidemic.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's Come like on. they just hate fun. They hate fun. <laughs> uh,
0: we're the anti-fun organization, and uh, we're here to tell you how to do your laws. Um, and unfortunately, this is the international body that sets the tenor and the tone of many national legislations, and unfortunately- Many national politicians uh, seem to, I, I guess this is where they they kind of get their directions. Yeah, they uh, take it at face unfortunate. value.
1: Yeah, they take it at face value. And it's a huge loss for everybody um, because there's. if we're going to talk about having people make educated decisions on what they want to use in a day, coffee, alcohol, nicotine, etc., You have to give them the right information. You can't try and scare them away by saying, more than two drinks a week is going to drastically increase your risk of dying and cancer. And it's like, well, no. I mean, the the data on the old limits, which was like upwards of 15 drinks uh, per week, which is in that two drinks per day guideline that I previously uh, had mentioned, the estimate is that that could carve off like four to six months of your life if that was your lifestyle. And for a lot of people, are you gonna have a, a, a third glass of wine at a wedding? Are you gonna have an extra beer celebrating a big well, are you Toronto paying? maple? Are League? you paying? Of course. <laughs> yeah. A big Toronto. Or are you maple saying if the
0: maple Leafs win, is that it? You're gonna you're gonna get a keg yeah, well, delivered.
1: Yeah, but every everyone would look at that and go, Oh, you know what? That's okay. That's worth it. That's what I mean. I take a lot of risk driving on the highway every day um, to do trivial, menial things like go to IKEA. Um, and you also do
0: household it, electrical work, and you also go on ladders.
1: Yeah, I, do. I, I <laughs> also, I've, had some,
0: I've had some scary stories about ladders. Let me tell you.
1: I, I'm I'm also about to build our lawnmower and mow the lawn, um, which carries risk, but worth it. Uh, and so there's not enough conversation of like okay yeah here are the risks but you're probably not going to change your behavior anyway because that doesn't make a material impact on your life um but yeah these folks are just in the nope can't have any of it they're gonna then they're gonna go for coffee and whatnot it's like man just leave me alone i'm old enough and ugly enough to make my own decisions here well we've already
0: talked about there are some limits on um Energy drinks. There's been some yeah. age restrictions. Um, obviously, you can't go buy some uh, cans of paint <laughs> without an ID. Can't buy a knife in the UK uh, unless you're over 18. Uh, there's plenty more restrictions like that. And uh, you know, again, uh, maybe it only comes to the public consciousness once they start banning things like I don't know CrossFit or um, something crazy yeah. like this. I don't know. Uh, there's there's many more restrictions that we're aiming to fight against, and that's why you guys tune into Consumer Choice Radio each and every week, so we can try to cover this stuff and get down to the bottom of it. Uh, Much more to come on the program. We'll be right back. Keep tuning in to Saga 960 AM and the Coastal Carolina Network. We'll be back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. We're going into our Third segment here. We've been talking about uh, the teetotaling scientists, so if they're at the World Health Organization, who or are trying to rewrite uh, the alcohol recommendations, and that will be impacting you. And it also gives a lot of muscle to the um, politicians who are also in trying to increase taxes, sin taxes of the like. This is a the kind of the strange conundrum, David, that we deal with in today's age: is that uh, the number one answer for everything is always a tax? Whatever problem there is, whatever. Ill is facing your society. A tax will fix it. Um, We saw this similarly with uh, the financial system. They thought, you know, if they can just impose a couple of taxes, rejigger things, it would, uh, you know, get rid of the quote bad actions in the financial economy.
1: But what's uh, funny on on these sin taxes is that, especially for goods that are relatively inelastic, like people are still buying alcohol despite the fact that the tax accounts for more than 50% of whatever you're buying. And so now you create a system where the government is dependent on these purchases. And so you have, (laughs) at the same time, you will have Health Canada maybe going the direction of the CCSA and saying no more than two drinks per week, well, the government of Ontario and the LCBO, the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, the government store, is pumping out ads about their newest sale, <laughs> and and what you can buy, and like all of this, so you you have you have the government who's so reliant on the sale of X um, that they then promote it, while at the same time other levels of government are saying you need to stop drinking entirely, and it's like okay, this is obviously a pretty um, convoluted scheme um between different levels of government and
0: and you know who you know who made that point fairly eloquently and i don't have the clip but i'll try to bring it next week uh malcolm x speaking of x oh. uh, made the point of uh, you know they, they keep you dependent while the government you know has the brand on the liquor bottle like this yeah. kind of thing and it, <laughs> it's very much very true and that's why whenever we dealt with the topic of, of cannabis legalization uh you know, David, you were very fortuitous in saying that relying on a state model where the government owns the shops creates bad incentives yes. and realistically increases price to a level to what people are going to prefer to go to their black market dealers. And, you know, what is <laughs> what is going to be the, the impact of having the government running these things? It's just a terrible interest all around. I'm reminded of this. I was talking to the, uh, you know, just chatting as one does to the. Uh, the senate finance committee in vermont uh, for one of these <laughs> testimonies and what's interesting is they were discussing a vape ban a vaping flavor ban so they're looking at you know those e-cigarettes vaping devices and for them they were looking at it purely from a cost perspective you know they didn't really care about any of the arguments they said all right well how much money will we lose in taxes if we rule this out uh, if we get rid of menthol cigarettes which are a huge uh, boon mm-hmm. to many state budgets." If we get rid of that how much are we losing okay we're gonna lose 85 million dollars next year how do we make up that 85 million dollars we can't okay well uh we don't know if we can do this right now <laughs> and this is the issue with so many of our products is they're so reliant on taxation of these things that you know you can't just ban them immediately but they're very happy to put on a 700 tax which just harms the the most modest in our society those who are not well off, those who are poor consumers, yep. takes more of their income uh, to feed this kind of system, the, uh, which which then pays the scientists who say that we need to ban more and more.
1: Well, the, the worst worst example was when the federal government was looking at a flavor ban, which it's hard to tell if they've walked it back. It, it appears now that maybe they have walked it back.
0: It's so confusing in Canada, but, I agree.
1: Yeah, but in their... Um, In their initial cost estimate, which I actually really appreciate that they do, they have to answer all of the tough questions of like, what does this cost in terms of government taxation revenue? What does it cost the businesses who sell something that they're about to ban? And the takeaway was, oh, well, we're not worried about um, the flavor ban and its impact on businesses because those small businesses also sell cigarettes and consumers will just go back to cigarettes. And it's like, OK, so you're admitting that by banning flavors, you're going to push vapors, whom most of whom are former smokers, back to cigarettes. And you're going to celebrate that as a win. I don't think that anybody wins in that scenario.
0: Wow. Do these uh, scientists who uh, craft the alcohol policy, are they aware of this? <laughs> uh, it's also the same. I remember uh, for the state of Maine. So their entire youth healthcare program is contingent upon the money they bring in from tobacco sales and taxation. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they were discussing, you know, bans and all this kind of thing, they said, well, what does this mean for our, our healthcare funding for kids? Well, there ain't going to be none left. Uh, yeah. OK, what do we do here? And then the bean counters have to come in and be like, OK, well, can't really do this. They don't listen to the consumer advocates. They don't listen to the people who use these products, these alternative products to save their own lives. Uh, they listen to the bean counters. Uh, luckily, the bean counters in many of these instances have won out. But then again, um, there are many ideological forces at play. A lot of money from Michael Bloomberg et al. Uh, that is targeting this stuff. Uh, I think Bloomberg has also come out against meat, if I'm not mistaken. It wouldn't surprise me. Red meat. Red meat taxes, or something like that, and uh, a couple arguments you can take on that one, whether it be health or environmental. Uh, there's always going to be a reason to hate anything.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you. You just see these things shift in real time. Like now, there's a big push against almond milk because there's a push against
0: water. almond milk. Is it because they take too much water? Is that it?
1: Yeah, and it's like, okay, this is enough. Like you're coming for my coffee and my choice of, of creamer here? Like, Let's maybe pump the brakes a little bit. And, I think uh, they just have
0: f- a camera into the Clement uh, family fridge, and they just look at it and it's like, alright, cottage cheese is next. Uh,
1: we yeah, see you high- like those
0: fruit roll-ups, Mr. Clement. Not your be-
1: high-fat yogurt, done. Eggs, oh, done. Not the Greek yogurt. Well, that's just xenophobic. Yeah. But... <laughs>
0: Come after the Greek yogurt, please, uh, for kids. Yeah. This is necessary.
1: <laughs> but it's crazy. It's yeah. like, at what at what point do people just collectively go, "Okay, bugger off and leave us alone."
0: Bugger off, indeed. Um, I think it's the the kind of the good theme of the day. I'll tell you what is buggering off. Also, David, uh, bank stocks are buggering oh, yeah. off. <laughs> um, this is uh, oh. very relevant to any of you that might have uh, money in the bank, as it were. Um, you know, obviously, less of a problem in Canada because it's pretty strict and there aren't as many banks. But you see this push now with the failure of now First Republic Bank and now West. Uh, you have the entire regional banking collapse that's essentially happening under our eyes and everybody is shifting to the major banks. Mm-hmm. So exactly what all of the reams and reams of paper of banking regulations were supposed to prevent uh, was this capitalization centralization of the monetary system. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, what a surprise. Um, this is where we've ended up and now the big banks are even more powerful. Um, more banks are failing and I don't know if anybody really understands this enough to to offer any alternatives. Uh, I no. mean, what do I know? I don't know anything <laughs> about any alternatives. You know, that could be good, be
1: bad, but he's still better than the guy who brings every conversation around to Bitcoin.
0: What do I know, David?
1: <laughs> yeah, I do have a funny anecdote on this. Um, so the, the tax filing deadline uh, in Canada was uh, last Friday. And uh, depending on what you owe for a lot of people. It's just turbo tax. Like they're in, they have regular employment. Their employer takes the tax off. They get paid and then they file their taxes. It's not that complicated. But for anyone who runs a small business or who's self employed, it's a lot more complicated. And it usually involves going into the bank um, with your final slip of what you owe and then paying it. Um, there's a gentleman next to us. Um, who couldn't pay online because his debit limit wasn't uh, high enough for what he owed so he kept getting an error when trying to pay online um which is not uncommon uh, cuz if you're self-employed you may owe more than 3000 and most people's debit limit is unless they purposely change it is 3000 um and so he's like oh, okay well i guess can we increase that and the person's like yeah not a problem we'll we'll increase it to uh to 10000 and, um, and then you can go and pay it. And he was like, well, can we increase it to 25? <laughs> and, and, and the person, the, the, the poor, um, service person was like, um, well, sir, um, I, I actually, I, I um, I don't think that we can do that, but you could tell mm-hmm. like there was an under, there was a, a. a uh underlying reason of why he wanted to increase it to 25 and you could just tell he was like well if things hit the fan here i'm gonna want to be able to get out as much cash as i can wow
0: and it's true the second that everybody runs to their banks and um it's actually illegal in some places to um cause a call for a run on the bank so not at all doing that but no uh it no it, it is it's definitely interesting to see you know that there are all these new financial products that are there, but it really is kind of a confidence game. And yeah. the, the model yeah, of the modern bank is to loan out, you know, as much as you can, more and more and more. We've talked about, you know, how much the banks are actually required to keep in reserves, which, um, at least in the United States, yep. happens to be zero. Um, and, and some other <laughs> institutions or countries, it's also fairly low. And uh, this is kind of what happens. People play with fire. And a lot of these banks, to safeguard their money, are investing in stuff they thought was very safe and easy, you know, government bonds. But look, they just uh, raised rates. Did Bank of Canada also raise rates? No, it or
1: maybe it did, but they're pausing now. There's a gap between the Fed and the Bank of Canada.
0: The Bank of Canada has lifted interest rates eight times since March 2022, sending the key policy rate to four point five percent from zero point two five percent mortgage rates have also followed suit. Oh boy. That's yeah, where I mean it really if you hurt. were
1: if you were uh if you didn't go fixed and you bought a house in early twenty twenty one you are getting absolutely soaked because that's a huge increase in your mortgage payment in a timeframe where you really have no means to Make that much more money a month?
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you you, you could try taking on second jobs. If you're doing that, but even those, once you take on a second job, you have different tax rules, and you're getting taxed kind of more taxed because you're more. making more money. Oh man, uh, I, I we do feel for our brothers and sisters. Um, if you'd like to uh, sell your property to the um, Clement Osowski, um Airbnb holding- hustle, yeah, <laughs> of the holding company. <laughs> But then again, who knows? We'll probably get taxed even more on the Airbnb stuff and uh, empty or you get homes a local, tax.
1: Or you get a local municipality who bans Airbnb like they tried to do in the Niagara region, which was so bizarre given how how dependent the region is on tourism. It's like, well, you, know, you just want to cut in half the available units for tourists? I, I don't think so. Uh, your wineries and your constituents and your restaurants and bars and concert venues are probably going to be a little upset about that.
0: I, that it reminds me the, um, the Yimbyism that's present within Canadian conservative circles is so impressive. And uh, we're oh, not yeah. the only ones to note it. The British conservatives have just been uh, essentially foaming at the mouth, seeing both Poitier and, and Scott Aitchinson, uh friends of the show, be in parliament and like be Absolutely, the most pro-Yimby voices in the Anglo sphere. Uh, it's been beautiful, yep. see, and it, I don't. You know, everyone has an issue where they say this is the one dominant issue that impacts everything. But certainly for housing policy, building, uh, all these kind of things, it is true. Uh, so much from this creates uh, incentives, good or bad, for all of our but lives, just, our cities, our livelihoods.
1: Yeah, just think of the spillover effect of. Paying $2,600 a month in rent for a very small two-bedroom apartment or condo, um, what does that mean? Well, it means you have less disposable income. You're spending less on where you get your food, on if you go to restaurants, if you travel, if you have kids, what are you enrolling them in? Um, It just eats away entirely at the ability to spend money on other things in the economy and just locks it up in real estate. And it's the same for mortgages, right? The example of someone who went from 0.5 to 4.5 on their mortgage in the span of a year and a half, uh, their decisions financially over the course of that time are going to change drastically. Um, And so that's all often ignored because it's like, yeah, we want cheaper housing because we want people to not spend 40, 50, 55, 60% of their disposable income on shelter. Um, But by not spending that much on shelter, they actually then get to buy the other things that they like, or they get to save and have savings for when they retire and rely less on CPP. Um, It's very much that housing theory of everything. I mean, when people talk about birth rates and, and Canadians not having enough kids, well, that's certainly understandable given the fact that you, Canadians on on mass spend a significant portion of their disposable income on shelter, and so if you're spending that on a two bedroom apartment, you're not having a second kid um, until you can move, and you can only move once your income starts to rise higher than the the rate in which home prices are rising, um, and so yeah, people get locked into the the joke. I think I saw on Instagram was. <laughs> We thought this was going to be our starter home, but it doesn't look like we're ever going to move from here because we can't afford to, um, which means that you don't have more kids. You don't do any of those things. Um, And so, yeah, very much is the housing theory of everything where it it just goes over time and time again. I love Mm
0: -hmm. that. I think that's a perfect way to end the show, uh, David. We covered a good amount of topics, uh, all the syntaxes and the housing theory of everything. Uh, plenty more content coming up for you in the next few weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Consumer Choice Radio for myself and for David. Uh, been a pleasure to have you all here listening. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast. Uh, click on the show notes that we'll have over there on uh, consumerchoiceradio.com. And we'll be back next week. Until then, David.
1: I'll see you then.